0: From Unity of the Valley Spiritual Center in Vacaville, California. Be here, now, be, here, now, be, here, now, just be. Good morning again. I'm Reverend Sonia Milton, and it's my joy and pleasure to be sharing with you on Valentine Day, the day that we celebrate our hearts, we celebrate love. I want to tell you about a new word that I learned this week. The word is entrainment, and it's defined as a physics phenomenon of resonance first observed in the 17th century. Christian Eugens, a Dutch scientist, in 1665, he was working on the design of pendulum clocks, and he set two clocks on the wall near each other, and the pendulum swung at different rates. However, eventually they would end up swinging At the same rate, and this was due to their mutual influence on each other, so entrainment then could be defined as a tendency for two oscillating bodies to lock into phase so that they vibrate in harmony. So this principle of entrainment is universal, it appears in chemistry, pharmacology, biology, medicine, mathematics, psychology, sociology, astronomy. So I'll get back to this idea of entrainment in a while because it really influenced how I've been preparing for the lesson this morning. You know how you kind of get on something like a dog on a bone? It's just an idea, and then it just keeps growing and changing and shifting, and it's just something that you talk about because it's just working in your mind. It's that process of... um, Oh, of just of churning and of wrestling. And, and I've been doing that for a while with this idea. Well, let me just say, you know, in traditional Christianity, and again, I wasn't raised Christian, which is kind of good news because I got to come to this, you know, in, in, a, in a new way. So in traditional Christianity, the real seminal events are the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that happened um, in between. You can also throw in the idea of the miracle of virgin birth as well. But for me, when I think about the ministry of Jesus, when I think about Christianity, I come up with what I call my own trinity. And it's the baptism, the wilderness, and the ministry. And just saying that, I have chills. You know, so of course, as you know, um, well, I'm going to read it to you. Okay, I'll just read to you from the book of Mark. From my beautiful Bible that I got when I graduated from uh, ministerial school. It was a gift from my um, home ministry, which was Unity in Santa Barbara. So I like the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of the no-frills gospel. It's the first one written. And the other um, two gospels, well, there's also John. The other gospels took from different um, sources as well as Mark. But Mark's kind of, again, as I say, the no-frills. So in those days, this is from the uh, first chapter, um, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, as you remember, John the Baptist was a sort of this wild man. It's also said perhaps he was a cousin of Jesus and he was out in the wilderness baptizing people there. And this is just so beautiful. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. What a moment. You know, you come in to kind of deal with your stuff, to get cleansed, and you have this aha moment, this brilliant opening where you just know that you are connected to the Spirit. And again, people in the Bible tried to write about their experiences in the best way they knew in the experience of someone else. And you know that when this gospel was, in, was written, it was at least 30 to 40 years after the actual death of Jesus. So this is hearsay, etc. but this is such a beautiful moment. You know something like this obviously happened because it happens to us all the time. It happens to me. But then the, ex- the exact next sentence... And this is what always gets me. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You know, you have this, I think I got something. I think I have something. I think I've had this experience. I think I I know what God is. I think I know that I am that spirit. I, I know that. And then, I mean, we could say it's a test. We could say, oh, yeah, you think you know something? Well, here you go. Because he was in the wilderness 40 days. And we know that 40 days is is really metaphysical for how long it takes for something to occur. 40 days, 40 years, 40 hours. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. And that's just so beautiful to me. Now, in the other Gospels, you know, the different things are explained that he came up against. But, you know, Charles Fillmore called this um, chemicalization. You know, you have this new awareness where you have this greater sense of who you are. And then the old you comes up to meet the new you and you get to deal with it. And it takes as long as it takes. Maybe it takes some therapy. Maybe it takes some body work. Maybe it takes a new relationship. Maybe it means ending something and beginning something else. But it's profound and it happens. And it happened to this character, Jesus. Now, he had been um, kind of a follower of John the Baptist. And soon after this, John the Baptist is arrested and we know what happened to him. And so Jesus then, you know, he's sort of waiting, he's waiting, he's having whatever he's having. And then he passes, he, he, starts, he starts moving around a little bit. Now, I don't ever think he came out of that experience fully cooked and ready to take on the world, because that's not how it works, is it? It's this process of, um, of um, exfoliating kind of the soul of, of this intention of living from this new place of awareness and of being. So he picks up a couple of disciples and he goes to Capernaum to the synagogue there. And he astonishes everyone with his teaching. And they're amazed as he calls out this unclean spirit. And so, again, I don't believe he came out fully cooked, ready to take on the world. He had this sort of first um, healing experience. I want to continue. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and he taught. They were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority. That inner authority, not as a scribe. He wasn't um, spouting scripture. He was coming from that place of awareness that he, that he was beginning to know about. And then they went to the house of um, Simon's mother-in-law. And this is what's really interesting, and I, I hadn't explored this before. Simon's mother-in-law, this was in Capernaum was in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them isn't that perfect the woman <laughs> but we won't go there so that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons and the whole city gathered around and he cured many who were sick with various diseases cast out demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him I look at this scene of the whole town turning out for this healing. They hear of the healing, and the whole town turns out to look. Can you imagine this whole town um, turning out? Now, I'm sure some of them um, were affected by disease themselves or someone in their family being ill, a personal illness. But there's a real possibility that everybody was also um, suffering from the trauma that could be the possession of, of demons by being under uh, Roman occupation. There was a real tension and a problem there. We have to remember, too, that Jesus was quite a political figure at the time. He was calling out the injustice. He was calling out these old rules and old rituals that were no longer um, even necessary or, or um, topical at the time. So something was already um, oscillating in Capernaum. Before Jesus arrived, everybody was affected. It was like a kind of energy field that wasn't healthy, that was contagious, that was non-generative. Everybody was really in a funk. And again, he arrives. He's had this transformative experience of his baptism, where the Christ spirit really made itself known to him. And then he's driven into the wilderness to deal with... um, uh, what, was re- remain, what remained, what still needed to be healed and taken care of, what was still in process. And then he survives that and he emerges as kind of um, an expanded person. We could say he was centered and related to his wholeness. And then he goes to Capernaum to a very different field, an energy field than what he had just recently emerged from. If we take this concept then of containment, this idea of taking oscillating bodies and that are out of sync and then bringing them into sync, this healing of um, the mother in law of Simon could have been this spontaneous moment of entainment, of entrainment. The negative, the non-generative energy of this woman in the world and the community and this positive generative energy that Jesus brings, it like coalesces in a way that the woman is healed. Imagine this energy and the pattern and the movement, the oscillation going on between them that moves towards a harmony and a wholeness and a healing. And so then what does that have to do with cultivating a peaceful heart, which is really but my focus has been in the weeks I've been uh, preparing and thinking about uh, the honor of being able to be bringing you this lesson this morning. Jesus re- returns then to the wilderness after this healing. He goes, remember, he would always go apart to pray. He withdraws to the wilderness before dawn. He returns to this place of this original formation that the Spirit drove him. To. He needs to recenter himself, to integrate what has happened into Capernaum rather than remain outside of himself. He needs to come back and do whatever he has to do to um, re engage with his peaceful heart. Because you know, there's a difference between healing and curing. Curing is like the agent of doctors and nurses and pharmacies and vaccines and things like that. Healing. I look at healing as something that happens inside through our spiritual practice, through our meditation, through prayer, through reflection, through mindfulness. There's a famous um, Native American saying that goes, sometimes I go about pitying myself when all the while I'm being carried by great winds across the sky. How important that is to reconnect with that part of ourselves. And I don't know about you these days, but the ante is up. I it, it takes me longer. I need to take longer. Maybe that's because I'm older and kind of losing it. But maybe because it's so much more important these days when there's so much um, national and international chaos and strife, the pandemic, the politics, um, all those things that are happening that keep us stirred up. How do we then find this place? This. Um, way to remain connected to our innermost being. This spacious perspective and composure amidst the distractions of a chaotic outer. I had a friend, an entertainer friend, his name was Ron Kikisola. What a great name. He was a folk singer and also a classical violinist. And when I was young, I worked um, in the coffee house where he was an entertainer. And he gave me like one of those eight by 10 pictures of himself. And I was young and you know excited about everything and he wrote on the thank you for your lucidity in the midst of madness and um i don't know how lucid i was at the time but i just like that phrase of of that um energy where we bring lucidity in the midst of the chaos and madness around us remember um i probably told you this jack cornfield once said that meditation is like being in a phone booth with a psychopath So um, we just get to deal with it over and over and over, and it gets, you know, we get used to it, and we have to keep doing it. So as we learn to trust this inner process, this inner practice, our capacity for equanimity grows. Equanimity, that ability to meet all experience with a balanced mind. And it doesn't mean being indifferent. It doesn't mean not caring. It means living in this deep understanding of the passing nature of all things. It's like living in the midst of the tension of this and yet at the same time that. There's the illness and there's the healing and then there's that in the middle. Equanimity is this ability to move through our day with this inner balance, not thrown off by good or bad, but responding and meeting it all with a peaceful heart. Because there's pleasure and there's pain and there's gain and loss and there's praise and there's continual opportunity to face what comes to us. And sometimes it's really painful. I mean, I, I I'm I'm in a situation now that with someone that's um, I don't seem to be able to have conversation. It's sort of a one-way thing. And the way I the only way I can respond is by just holding steady within myself. And it seems very unsatisfying, but it's also what I can do. I don't want to meet the energy that comes to me. Remember Albert Einstein always said, you can't deal with a situation, a problem at the level that it appears. We always have to go up and take it higher. We have to go up to the mountaintop, as Jesus did. We have to take it into this deep place. So one of the greatest teachings we got from Charles Fillmore is that we have the choice of how we respond, the way he taught us. I mean, it's a a universal teaching, but we can't um, control what comes to us in terms of um, from the outside world or what stirs up within us, but we can decide where to put our attention. That is the choice we have. Isn't that the most freeing, wonderful thing? That we could be locked up on the outside and yet free on the inside. We have so many examples of that. We have Viktor Frankl who survived um, the the concentration camps. We have Nelson Mandela, Mandela, I love calling him Mandela, Mandela, and his experience being in uh, prison, Robbins Island prison for all those years, and yet was able to keep who he is and was. And it's not like that thing is easy. It wasn't easy for them, and it certainly wasn't easy for Jesus. But it was about taking that time apart, returning to that experience of the oneness. So we can respond to things with fear and reactivity and contraction, or we can respond with clarity and with wisdom. It's kind of like the serenity prayer, you know, which um, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Compassion, mindfulness, forgiveness, self-forgiveness. These are ways that we cultivate the answer to that prayer. How we cultivate the peaceful heart. We strengthen the equanimity in our lives. We notice the moments of entrainment, the moments when we are together. I mean, that might be the biggest thing I miss about coming together in person, in our, in our services, in our classes, is that um, tactical feeling of knowing that we're resonating, we're oscillating in that same way. We're in that entrainment. And yet through this miracle of this virtual world, we get to do it this way. It's really extraordinary. Who knew? What a great gift Zoom was to come along when it did that we can still be together and connect in this amazing way in our pajamas, you know, with our shoes off. There are times, of course, when a strong response is necessary, but this too can be done with equanimity. With that, um, you know, in uh, the ancient Greeks thought that the, that the, heart was the heart and the spleen, actually, the seat of the soul. I think it was the Buddhists who say that the heart is the seat of the soul. And I, I think of like my diaphragm, that muscle that runs um, um, horizontal, that just kind of holds, holds all that up. And as I breathe and expand that, my heart can expand, that all that blood that's moving through it through that muscle is oxygenated and sent back into the body and that which is no longer needed is sent back into the heart and is cleansed and comes back out again and gets all the um the oxygen and the nutrients from the lungs and all that good work that's going on in our bodies without us even being conscious of it that keeps us awake and alert and alive and those of us who are having some challenges in those areas we can send our loving attention there we can ask others as we oscillate together as we Um, practice our entrainment with each other. I love it. The best leaders um, combine strength and vision with a steady and peaceful heart. You know, Zen master um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who recently um, passed away from his physical body, he would offer this um, example when the crowded Vietnamese refugee boats met with storms or met with pirates. He would say, if everyone panicked, all was lost. But if only one person on the boat remained calm and centered. One person, it was enough. It showed the way for everyone to survive. That entrainment began to happen. And when you look at um, the, the healings of Jesus as, as he went on, onto the Sermon on the Mount, and all the healings, all the casting out of the unclean spirits, whatever that was, that real, I, I, I believe the greatest um, healing was that spiritual healing of modeling that oneness, modeling that knowing, and he wasn't always kind and gentle and blue-eyed and blonde-haired, you know. I mean, he had a lot to say. He threw over the tables, the money changers of the, at the temple. He was very clear on what's important. And it's here in the heart. The seed of the soul, the seat of equanimity, the seed of peace. And so I invite us all as we go out into um, this day and the world and the week, and all that's going on, the tensions that are going on nationally and internationally, locally, did I get a vaccine? Will I get a vaccine? Am I wearing the two tomb- Am I doing it right? All those issues that have just created such an incredible year, and it's just about a year now, we can remember this equanimity, this balance in the heart. We can remember that idea of entrainment, that we do begin to resonate together in our households, in our spiritual communities, in our workplaces, in our schools because it's all about intention and practice. We become the person with equanimity. We become a peaceful heart, and we continue to practice and practice and practice and practice. Thank you. Shalom. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Unity of the Valley Spiritual Center. Our services are every Sunday, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock at 350 North Orchard Avenue in Vacaville, California. You can support our podcast by making a donation at www.unityvacaville.org.